What's the legacy that you're going to leave? I mean, it's an important question. In some ways, it's a question we, we don't really like thinking about because it reminds us of our mortality, right? It reminds us that death is a reality, and yet it's an important question. And when we talk about legacy, there can be lots of things that come to mind. One of them is money, right? We might leave a legacy to our kids, grandkids, some organization that is important to us, a, a financial legacy. That's one thing. But but for us, I, I think it's important for us to think about what's the spiritual legacy that we plan to leave to the people who come behind us. Maybe our kids, grandkids, great-grandchildren, or, or the people that we love, people even in our church and community that we can speak into their lives. What is the spiritual legacy that we leave? Now, this is true for individuals. We leave a legacy, but the church also leaves a legacy. I can look back on my life and Think about my parents and grandparents that, and I went to church with them every Sunday of the world growing up. I mean, they were always there, and I learned lessons from them, sometimes lessons I didn't want to learn, sometimes I did, that were important to me, and they carry through today. And I can think back to the church that I grew up in, and the lessons and the legacy that it leaves to me now in this part of my life. And and all the churches that I've served have left something with me. And hopefully that's true for you. You can think about individuals, parents, grandparents, teachers, mentors, the church itself that has left a spiritual legacy in your life. And the question is for each one of us, what are we leaving behind to the people that we love the most spiritually. For the next few weeks, I want us to think about that. And we're going to do that by looking in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we have all kinds of examples of people who are passing faith on to others. And, and I think there are incredible lessons to learn. We're going to skip around throughout the book of Acts, but in each one of those stories, we're going to think about how they left a spiritual legacy to people who were learning faith from them. And you can see in the pictures that, that's happened in this place for many years. People in this room and in the earlier service that are pictured there that have passed on faith to many of you, to many of us, as they've been Christians in this community. So what are we going to learn from the book of Acts? Now, before we jump in there, there's one note that I want to give. You know, Mother's Day is today, and that's a great day for lots of people. And we celebrate our moms, celebrate people who are mothers in our lives. But if we're honest, it can carry some baggage, right? I mean, there are lots of reasons why that's true. If we have a difficult relationship with a mother or a child, if we've lost someone who's a mom to us, lost a child, all those things bring back really difficult memories. And, and the truth is, for, for moms and, and for dads too, if you've been parents for more than like eight minutes, there's probably something that you regret in your parenting because it is not easy, right? It's one of the most difficult and rewarding things I've done in my life. And, and we can look back and find all sorts of ways that we wish we had parented differently. Things that we shouldn't have said at all. Things that have, should, have, should have been said, but said in a different way. Things that we should have said, but just never got around to saying. Actions we wish we could take back. Lots of stuff that we can beat ourselves up with, and we do. And I don't want this series to be that. As we think about passing on a spiritual legacy, I don't want it to be sort of a grade book where you evaluate what you've done over the years and, and sort of mark yourself down if you missed something or bump yourself up if you did something well. It's not really about that. What I would rather us do is think about, okay, as we move into the future, what can I do from this point forward to leave a spiritual legacy? Because the truth is, we can all look back and see the mistakes, and we can't change 
any of them. Right? We can change absolutely nothing about the past. We can mend some fences. We can try to make it better, but we can't change the stuff that's back there. But we can change what's in the future. And so, again, whether we're talking about our own kids or other people that we're building into, let's think about how we can do a better job in the future and pass along our faith to those who are coming behind us. Now, the, the Bible gives us all kinds of examples of of strong faith. And that's what I really want us to talk about today. The, the last series where we were talking about steps and our spiritual walk, we began with faith. Well, we're going to begin this series with faith. Look at it a little different. I promise the rest of the series is not going to be a repeat, okay? But, but we talked about faith being believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, what John taught us as we studied through the Gospel of John, all right? But it's more than that. It's also trust, so, so if a strong faith is a strong belief in who Jesus is, it's also, okay, what do I do with that faith? And if Jesus really is the Son of God, how do I demonstrate trust in Him? Well, we do have examples of that. And if we turn to the book of Acts, we have a number of examples even there. And in fact, one of my favorite stories about strong, trusting faith is found in Acts chapter 4. And that's where I want us to spend some time today. If we come to Acts chapter 4, you can tell it's only the fourth chapter. So we're not very far in. This is really close to the beginning of the life of the church. Remember, it's really the second in a two-part volume. We have the first volume, which is Luke, that tells the story of God at work in Jesus. And then we have Acts that tells the story of the, the Spirit of God at work in the people of God. Okay? And he works mightily, and we see that in Acts chapter 4. So we're going to see that as, as the church has just been founded in Acts chapter 2. We don't know exactly how much time elapses between that and what happens in Acts chapter 4, but it can't be very long. And, and what we see is the church trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus, right? Jesus has, has lived three years, or ministered for three years, lived 30. He, he's died. He's been buried, he's been raised from the dead, he's ascended. People have been following Jesus already, but, but what does it mean to follow a risen Christ who's now in heaven? How does that, what does that look like? And so they're figuring that out. Early leaders in the church of the apostles, two of those are Peter and John, were told that one afternoon they were on their way to the temple when they encountered a man who has a disability. Now, it's pretty common to see people with disabilities lining the roads in populated areas of virtually any ancient city because the only way for them to make a living is to beg for a living. And so that's what they did. And it's likely that Peter and John have encountered this man before. It's likely that most people in Jerusalem have seen this guy and probably thrown a few coins at him along the way. And so he's begging that day and he gets the attention of Peter and John. And Peter says, I don't have any money to give you, but I have something greater. And Peter healed him on the spot. Now, you can imagine what kind of stir that caused. Here's a guy that probably a lot of people in town know, and they know he's had this disability, and then suddenly he's up and he can walk. There is a crowd that gathers around this man and around Peter and John, and Peter uses it as an opportunity to talk about Jesus. And he lays out the story of Jesus, lays out the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. That part of the story that changes everything, that Jesus was raised from the dead. 
Now, because of Peter's preaching that day, we have lots of people who come to faith in Jesus Christ. We know 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. That number is expanding quickly in Jerusalem. So it's a pretty good-sized group. And there are a lot of people excited about this. And there are some people who really don't like it. There's a group of Jews that are called the Sadducees. And Sadducees were powerful politically and religiously. They sort of had a good relationship with the Roman governor so that the, the Roman governor chose the high priest. He always chose from among the Sadducees. And they had a certain group of beliefs that they held to, and it made them very powerful among the people. Now, one of the things that, that they did not believe in, and they held this very strongly, was they didn't believe that the dead were going to be raised. Okay? They did not believe in resurrection. And that set them apart from lots of groups in the ancient world among the Jews. But, but they had a real problem with Christians because while some of these groups did believe that the dead were going to be raised by the power of God, it hadn't happened yet. But the Christians said, this guy, Jesus, whom we follow, has already been raised from the dead. They had a problem with that. And when they heard that Peter and John had preached this very fact, and not only preached it, but preached it on their home turf in the temple grounds, they arrested them. And because it was already late in the day, they threw them in the jail, sort of the, the temple jail, if you will, and they had to stay there overnight, which would have been miserable. And then on the following day, Peter and John are brought before the Jewish ruling council. Now, this is the same council that just a short time before sentenced Jesus to death and turned him over to Pilate to have him crucified. Same group, okay? And they challenge Peter and John. And it comes down to this question. Who gave you the authority to heal this man? Now, it's interesting Nobody says the man was not healed. Nobody challenges that fact because it seems to be accepted. He was unable to walk. Now we can walk. Everybody knows that. But who let you do this, Peter and John? Now they've got a choice to make. And their choice is a faithful one and an example of faith in a number of ways. It begins with this, Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. Now that's the beginning of his address, but note from the beginning, Luke tells us Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Luke wants us to know that the Holy Spirit is a prime mover all the way through the book of Acts. Like he is working through God's people from beginning to end. So he's a main character, and here we see it. We also know that in the Old Testament, the people associated with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, were the prophets, the people who spoke for God. So what Luke is telling us about Peter is, Peter's got the Word of God right here. God's Spirit is working in him. So he begins this address, and then verse 9 if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. So if, if the charge against us is you did something that really helped a man who was in need, okay, here's our answer to that. Know this, verse 10. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Now let's take that apart. Okay, it was 
It was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If you're wondering which Jesus, because it was a common name, it's the Jesus who comes from Nazareth and the man that we see fulfilled all the prophecies about the Messiah so we can call him the Christ. It was that Jesus. And you know who he was because you killed him. You had him crucified. You had him killed, but God had him raised from the dead. Now, here's Peter. Challenged by a group of people who are upset because he's proclaimed Jesus as raised from the dead. And what does he do? He puts it right back to them. He is unafraid. He is not going to back down from their threats and their anger. He's going to speak it to their face. He continues in verse 11. Jesus is the stone the builder, you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. If you want to know where the salvation of God is coming from, it is in this Jesus from Nazareth who has been called and has shown himself to be the Messiah. Now the Sadducees have a problem. They sort of go into private session. They discuss this among themselves. I mean, hey guys, it's not like we can say this didn't really happen and it's not like we want to deny this is the act of God that this man was healed, but we have got to, to, to make these guys stop. This thing is getting out of control. Thousands of people were following Jesus. In fact, that night before, when Peter and John were arrest, arrested, more people came to Jesus because of that. So they knew this was getting out of hand. And so their only hope is just to, to try to silence them. So they called Peter and John back in, and they said, okay, we're going to let you go, but listen, no more talking about Jesus, no preaching, no teaching. We do not want to hear you say anything about Jesus. And then, and this example of faith really comes to us in verse 19. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We will not be quiet. Peter and John had been with Jesus. They'd seen the miracles, the signs. They'd heard Jesus' teaching. They believed he was God's Messiah. And because of that, it didn't matter who told them to be quiet. They were not going to do it. Right to their faces. There's really not much else they can do. And so Peter and John are released after a few more threats. They went back to the church, which is assembled. And everyone knew it was a time for prayer, so they had a prayer meeting. And you know, if I had been there, if I had been in that group and asked to lead a prayer, this would have been my prayer. My prayer would have been, Lord, keep us safe. Lord, Lord please stop these people who are opposing us. Help them to see the truth of, of what you've done and, and God, help to, to keep us from being arrested again because we want to do your work. But that's not what they prayed. What they prayed shows so much more faith than I have that it, it just boggles my mind every time I read this story. This is what they prayed. It's in verse 29. They had been talking about these leaders who had stood against them. And they say, now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
Now, once in this prayer, do they pray for safety or ease? Do they pray for their opponents to be stopped? What they prayed for was boldness. To stand up and to preach what was true and right in the eyes of God. See, they were not going to be silenced. They were not going to have anyone stand before them and say, you will not preach. Because what mattered to them was not their safety. What mattered to them was not what they had or what belonged to them. What mattered to them was that the word of Jesus was preached. That Jesus was proclaimed to the people so that people would know that God was at work. And what strikes me in the story is that God didn't make it easy. I mean, these are people of great faith who are trusting God. And yet some of them would face death because of their faith. So it's not that God made it easy, but what God did do was give them just what they asked for. Courage. Boldness in speaking the name of Jesus. And as I read that, it comes to me that 2,000 years later, they still stand as an example to us of what faith really looks like. And it strikes me that that's the lesson for us in this passage. As we think about how we can pass along faith to those who come behind us, the truth that we need to learn is that acting in faith encourages faith. Their, their, their willingness, their ability, their prayer to, to act on the faith that they had in Jesus encourages my faith 2,000 years later, and I hope it encourages your faith. The fact that they were willing to, to do what was difficult, what they had been told not to do because they believed it was what God was calling them to do encourages my faith, and I hope it encourages your faith. And the truth is, when we act in faith, we pass along the same kind of trust in God that Peter and John show us. Our acting in faith encourages the faith of our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and the other younger people in our church and the people that we want to see grow up in faith in our church and community. When we are willing to act in faith, it encourages the faith of the people coming behind us. Now, I think there's lots of ways that we can sort of work that in our lives. And, and one of them is to develop faith, right? Peter and John spent three years, along with the other apostles, three years listening to Jesus, seeing the miracles, watching what he was doing, developing their faith. So when the time came, they were ready. They didn't have to say, hey, I wish we were stronger in this. They just... They just did it. And we need to develop that same kind of faith. Now, Jesus is not physically with us. We can't see him perform the miracles, but we've got stories. That's when we have God's word, to develop our faith. And so, if we want to develop strong faith, we've got to read the stories. And we've got to ask God to give us that kind of courageous, bold faith that these men had. And we want to develop that faith now to take the steps, the, the small steps every day that help us develop a faith so if and when the time comes that that faith is challenged and what we need is, is boldness, not ease, we are ready. And so develop that faith. And then act on that faith. Model it. Model faith for your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandchildren. 
Show them what it looks like to live in faith, to do the right thing when it's unpopular, to speak out in the for the name of Jesus, maybe when no one wants to hear it, to act in boldness. But we can't just do it. We need to act on it, but we need to talk about faith. You see, our, our kids need to know. So when, when we act on faith and we give part of what is ours, well, really what is God's, back to Him, we say to them, you know, there's lots of things we could do with this money, right? We could do some really fun stuff, but what we believe is that God's called us to support the work that He's doing through the church and around the world, so we're going we're gonna to give. We're going to stay away from some things that are really, we believe are dangerous because God has said, hey, this is not for you. We're going to pursue some things that require our time and our talent because they make a difference in the lives of other people in the name of Jesus. And when we talk about that to our kids, our grandkids, that makes a difference because they know this is what it's all about. And the reason we're doing it is not just because we want to be good people, which is fine, but more important than that, we want to be followers of Jesus. We want to be faithful to Him. And when we act in faith, it encourages faith. So if you want to leave behind a strong sense of faith in Jesus, let me encourage you to act in that faith so that the stories will be told. And maybe by some of the kids who've seen you act in faith, maybe told through the generations about what Grandma did, Grandpa did, that showed her or his real faith in Jesus. Because it might be that a long time after you act in faith, it's going to encourage the faith of others. Let's pray together. God, we want to pass on the faith that you've given us. And we pray that you'll help us to do that. We pray that through our actions and through our words, people will be drawn to you, just, just like the, the words and the actions of the apostles encourage us. God, help us to be encouragers of faith because of what we believe about Jesus. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.